Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. How you doing? Y'all doing well? You excited? Cool. If you have got your scripture, I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 2. Uh, we're kicking off a new series today called Use It or Lose It, where we're going to be going through the book of James, but we're not going to do it um, in chronological order, and it'll make sense as we start to get into it. But the whole premise is, is around this idea about faith producing works, faith producing works. And as you're turning there, it's important to understand a few things about James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And so James didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah until he was dead, buried, and then he resurrected and ascended into the heavens. And so... Um, once James put his faith in Jesus as the Messiah, which, look, let's just be honest with you. If your brother or your sister came up to you and was like, I'm God, I am the Messiah, what would you tell them? All right, and so Jesus probably went up to James and was like, hey, just so you know, I am the Christ that they all talk about. And James is like, no, you're my brother that likes to make messes, you know? And, and so it took a lot of convincing for James, but once he was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, he took his message, the message of good news, the message of the gospel, and he proclaimed it and, and preached it everywhere that he could to the point that he ended up being martyred, executed because of his belief in his brother being, his half brother being who he says that he is. And one of the things about James is James is pr primarily speaking to a Jewish audience, a religious audience. And so um, what I love about, hello, what I love about the book of James is every time you dive into it, it doesn't matter if you've read it one time, if you've read it 20 times, or if you've read it, you know, every day of your life, it has a tendency to start to speak to you about where you are in your relationship with Christ. It challenges you. This morning I was on the D train and, um, and there is these two guys, we were in the last car and these two guys were sitting there and they were like looking in the mirror, not the mirror, but the like window trying to get a reflection and looking at their hat and making sure that they looked all fly and stuff. And I got there thinking as I was just thinking about the message, this is what the book of James is. Every time you look in the mirror, you're going to find something else wrong in your life that you need to surrender to Jesus Christ. And so as we dive into today's message, it's going to be a difficult one. And I hope that that's okay. I, I, I want to come to church. I want to get filled up. I want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. But sometimes the word of God um, can rub us or start to deal with some issues in our heart. And so as we get into it, there's two things that I need to say before we dive into James chapter 2. And once I get into it, you'll be like, okay, I know where he's going. Number one, you are fully forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. And I think that that's important to know. You are fully and completely forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. And then number two, by faith alone, you are adopted as a child of God. 
by faith alone. And so the argument with theologians is that Paul preached one gospel and James preached another gospel. Well, the word of God does not contradict itself, okay? I, you have to understand who they were preaching to and their primary, primarily their audience. And so James is gonna say some things, and I, my, my goal is that, that we can kind of break this apart today. Um, but he's gonna essentially say, faith without works is dead. That's the bottom line. If you wanna know what the whole message is about, faith without works is dead. But our salvation is not predicated upon our works. Our adoption into sons and daughters of the Most High God is not predicated upon works. I love what Matt Chandler says about this particular passage. He says, while faith alone saves us, it is a faith of a certain kind. It is a faith that produces works which save us. The works do not save us, but a faith without works will only deceive us and not lead us into the fullness of God. So you guys ready? That was my introduction. I got 30 minutes and 27 seconds, so here we go. James, chapter two, picking up in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving him the things needed for his body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now look, I'm gonna be very honest with you guys. This is hard for me. This is hard for me because I, I deal with people um, who are beggars or deal with people who have been homeless or are homeless, and I feel like for whatever reason, they're just drawn to me. It's, it's like I walk into, you know, down the street or, or walk somewhere and boom, they're, they're just there. This, this past week, Monday evening, I had a meeting, and so I was meeting these people at this cafe, and I pull up with my car right outside of this cafe in Albany, and there's this guy, and he like, he sees me pull in, and I'm like, here it comes, the big ask. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, okay. So I'm sitting there, I put on my face mask, and he comes up, I roll down my window, and I went down like an inch, you know, an inch, because I don't know who he is and stuff. And he's like, hey man, I need some money for the bus. Um, you know, I'm trying to get to such and such, and, and I just got out, and I gotta go get my medicine. And it's a typical story that I hear. And everything in me wanted to say no. Everything in me was like, here we go again. Have you ever been there? Can we be honest in church? You ever been there? Like, okay, some of you guys, thank you for being honest. The rest, we're gonna pray for the truth to come out today, all right? And, and so, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, man, um, I, think I, I think I have a, a few dollars. And I kid you not, I swear to you, this is exactly what happens. I open up my wallet. I, <laughs> this was bad. Y'all, don't judge me. I hand him the $2, and he goes, oh, hey, can you get me three? And I was like, no, beggars can't be choosers. And, and look, I, I know, wasn't that horrible? That was horrible. I got, so, this is the point of my story. I got, I, Bishop's gonna be like, Michael, we need to have a conversation after this, all right? Here's the point of my story. I got so convicted about that 
because of reading the word of God and realizing I'm just like this dude that James is talking about, trying to get by with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and not actually putting my faith into action. And I'm telling you, I got, and look, this is me, confession. I'm confessing to you, I am now repenting to you, okay? And, and so this is, this is like, this is deep. This is deep because how often do I, I'm not gonna say you guys, but how often do I go about my life saying stuff like, Lord, we just pray that you would just help them in Jesus' name. And then we just walk by. Meanwhile, they're suffering, and you've got the resources, and you've got the answers, but for whatever reason, you're not taking your faith and put it into action. What, what James is saying, that faith right there that you think is faith is actually dead because you do not put your faith into action, into works, to be able to take care of the people of God and those that are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, and they are all around us. And Jesus is like, you've been crying out for revival, you've been praying for a harvest, well then get to work. Get to work. Kind of like Matthew 25, right? Let me jump there real quick, verse 40. Jesus is talking about the final judgment, and he's talking about a king, and, and, and this king is kind of giving this illustration. It's a parable, an illustration of, of like you taking care of people, and, and when you take care of people, you're taking care of the least of these, and then a group that doesn't take care of people. This is what Jesus says. He says, and the king will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, and enter into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Ouch! Ouch! For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Like, like this is, man, that cuts. That cuts because I don't want to get to heaven and Jesus look at me or get to my judgment day and Jesus look at me and be like, hey, you had all of this opportunity and you wasted it. You wasted it. And Jesus, in some of the parables, like in some, it's well done, good and faithful servant. In others, it's depart from me, you wicked and lazy servant. My God, how often has the American church gotten wicked and lazy? As we experience the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ and the power, that resurrection power that he did on the cross, it should transform our hearts to a place that we learn to love people more. That we look at people through the image of God. Like, like that we, and, and this, is, this isn't even my notes. I, I, I wanna make sure I stay on track today, but just hear me out. I, I think about the people that get on social media. I'm gonna talk about social media in a minute too. Uh, but I think about the people that get on social media that call themselves Christians and all they do is bash a bunch of other people. And I'm like, man, they are created in the image of God. They are created in the image of God, and all you're doing is you're just speaking curses out of your mouth. 
No, I'm not. It's through a computer screen. Okay, it's through a computer screen that's going to remain on the internet for eternity, all right? All right, let me get back on track. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? (laughs) You do well. I love that. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith that com- um, faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he called he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers messengers and sent them out by another way. So I love what what James is kind of saying right here. And as I was studying, I never really saw this, but he's kind of talking about two people that are having a conversation right here. You got person A and person B. And, and person A is one that has faith that produces works. And then person B is one that says, well, you have faith and I have works. Or I have faith and, I, and you have works. And, and, and so it's, it's kind of those, those people that they, they know a lot of stuff. But they don't do anything with a lot of stuff that they know. It's like, you ever, you ever know people, some of y'all are thinking about people right now, don't point to your spouse? Like, I can fix that. Like, great, do it. James is saying, put your money where your mouth is. You're gonna talk a big game. But, but I think about this, and, and I, love how, I love how he says this. You have faith. Some will say, you have faith, and I have works, in quotations. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Go ahead. You show me how great your faith is without doing any works that produce. And I'm going to show you how great my faith is by the works that I do and the fruit that I produce that gives glory and honor and praise to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says this, and I just, it's a little bit of sarcasm, you know? You believe in God? Great! So do the demons, and they shudder. Here's, here's kind of what he's talking about. Again, you have to know the audience. He's talking to a Jewish religious audience right here. And he's saying, you guys know a bunch of stuff. You read a bunch of stuff. You've got a lot of degrees. You've got a lot of understanding. You've got a lot of head knowledge. Let me put it in layman's terms for us here in Brooklyn. You go to church. You read your Bible. You know how to pray. You know all the right things to say. You know that whenever someone comes up to you and they go, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. God is good all the time and all the time. See, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? But you've got no action that ends up being produced. 
And what James is saying, if all you have is a bunch of head knowledge and deep understanding, and you know all the right things to say, but you don't put it to work, then it may just be that you're actually not a Christian. Are you saying that? Yeah, I'm saying that because there is a transformation that takes place in our heart that causes love and compassion and mercy and justice to rise up out of us so that we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. And I believe now is the time for the church to not only draw the line in the sand, but to plant their heels in the sand and to say we are going to stand up for holiness. We are going to stand up for righteousness. We are going to stand up for justice because there are people outside of these four walls that are broken and hurting and it's time for the church to get to work. Now look, if you're here and you're like, Michael, that's great. I don't even know who Jesus is. I'm so glad that you're here and we're gonna talk about that in just a few minutes. And, and listen, y'all understand, I'm not like mad, right? I wanna make sure that it's very clear. Sometimes I get fired up about these topics and I'm not, I am not mad. Um, it's kind of, let me give you an example that I've had to deal with. And Carissa, I know you've had to deal with as, as well. Uh, internet trolls. Y'all know what they are? <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? Internet trolls. You know what they do? They get on Facebook or they get on Instagram or they get on Twitter and you post something and you're like, man, God just moved so mighty today and three people got saved and there was a healing and, and you know, and then they get on there and they start throwing all their theology at you trying to correct you instead of celebrating the goodness of God and what God just did. You ever had to deal with those? It's like every four to six weeks I have to deal with one. Especially on Instagram, I just delete and block in the name of Jesus, right? God loves them, I'll pray for them, but I don't have to put up with it. I am going off the rocker today, guys, I apologize. Even the demons believe. And, and here's something I want to say. I'm all about sound doctrine. I'm all about having a theological understanding. I'm all about diving into the epistles and the creeds and, and all of that stuff. But the demons know so much more than we do. The demons know more than we do. And what James is saying, you believe in God? Great. So do the demons they were in the presence of God for years, and they still rebelled. They still left. They still followed Lucifer. And so you can have a lot of knowledge, but if your knowledge is not producing a transformation in your heart that then puts your faith into action, there is a disconnect. And then he gives two examples, one of them being Abraham, who Abraham was promised something by God, right? You're gonna be the father of many nations, Father Abraham. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Had many sons, many sons had. Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you, so let's all... Praise the Lord, left arm, right arm, left foot, right foot. Maybe they're singing that downstairs right now, I don't know. But his promise was given, Isaac, and, and what did God say? Hey, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to build an altar and I want you to sacrifice Isaac on that offer. Now, 
Isaac was not young at this point. Isaac would have been much older. Some, some people believe he was in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 years old whenever Abraham had this command from the Lord. But Abraham, in faith, in trusting God, responded and ended up binding his son and placing him on the altar. And right whenever he was about to sacrifice his son, an angel of the Lord appeared up or appeared to him and said, thank you, we were testing you. God was testing you in your obedience. And, and because of this, um, it's accounted to you for righteousness. Because your faith produced an action. There is this thing that takes place um, when we are obedient. Um, so yeah, our obedience should produce faith. And while at the same time, our faith should produce obedience. Am I making sense? It's kind of like this revolving thing. As we are obedient to the commands of God, it should produce more faith, and then our faith should produce more obedience. Let me give you guys a very real example that just happened to me about a month ago, all right? Um, as you guys know, the Albany campus is, we're this close to signing papers um, and closing on our building. Thank you, Jesus. I cannot wait. It's going to be exciting. But um, about a month ago, right at a month ago, actually, we kind of ran into an issue. See, what happened was, with the inspection report, we found out that there was a lot of asbestos in the building. And so we went to the seller and we said, hey man, you gotta knock off the price some, or you gotta deal with the asbestos because we don't have an additional $35,000, $40,000 to be able to deal with it. And so the guy, the seller thought about it, and then he came back and he said, you know what, I'll take care of it. And then he, went, he wanted to go hire some, some guys to just come in and not do it properly. And our attorney stepped in and, and said, no, it's gotta be done properly. It's gotta be certified because if not, the church could be liable because you guys are in contract and, and, and you know, we wanna do everything upright. And so we came back and we said, no, it has to be certified. And his response was, well, if that's the case, then the church can just deal with it. And so I started praying. Bishop started praying. I think we had a joint staff day where we just fasted and we prayed. Do you know what happened? Nothing at first. Nothing at first. I went down to Southeast Texas, ended up preaching my heart out, while in the meantime I'm up here knowing that I'm about to lose a building and I've got to give them an answer of whether or not we're going to stay in contract or we're going to walk away from the contract. And so what happened was, is it got to Wednesday afternoon, or when, I'm sorry, it was Wednesday morning, midday. And our elder team, we met, we prayed about it, and, and we just came to this conclusion that if he's not going to accept a lower price, then maybe it's time for us to walk away. Maybe it's time for us to sacrifice what we think is the promise in obedience to God. And so our whole board voted unanimously. I called Bishop, I called some other people that I know, and they all said, Mike, you cannot put the church in this position. I said, okay, all right. And so we walked away on a Wednesday afternoon. And then I kind of disconnected. I went to the park with my wife and kids. While I was at the park, not even two hours later, I got a call, and it was the seller. And he said, hey, I didn't realize that you guys couldn't actually afford this. I'm like, no, we couldn't afford it. It's an additional $40,000. Like, are you crazy? And he's like, well, you know what I'll do? I will accept your original offer with this, with the asbestos, to be able to help you guys out, which he rejected a month ago. And then I said, 
I got to pray about it. I got to pray about it. And the next day, we prayed about it. Catch this. In the meantime of that taking place, I got a call from the lender, and the lender said, hey, we just ran your 2020 P&Ls, and they were stronger than 2019, so we're going to give you an additional $50,000 so you don't have to deal with the seller. And then on top of that, we're going to decrease your down payment by $30,000. Tell me that there is not a God who is working on behalf of the people of God. And so I called him back up and I said, you absolutely are right that we will take the cheaper offer on the building. And just so you know, my God is faithful. My God provides. Here's my point. I could talk a whole lot of faith, but until we're willing to put it into action and give up something that we may think is the promise of God in obedience to God, then we will never see the blessing end up manifesting in our life. Then he goes on to Rahab, and as I'm, I'm starting to wrap this up now, I got 11 minutes, I'm doing well. Then he goes to Rahab, and he talks about Rahab, which I just need to say this, no one wakes up as a little girl, five years old, seven years old, and says, I think I want to be a prostitute whenever I get older. No one. This woman must have gone through abuse and neglect and hurt, and it's very possible even some kind of demonic torment in her life. But she was presented an opportunity to put faith in Yahweh, to put faith in God, and to allow her faith to then produce action. And that's exactly what took place. The, the Israelites were, were about to go into Jericho and, and, and they send in the spies and, and, and what does she do? She ends up hiding some of the spies, hiding some of the messengers. And did you know that because of that she ended up in Matthew in the lineage of Jesus Christ? That means Jesus can take someone who is a prostitute, an outcast, beat up and struggling, redeem them and bring them into the family of God. In Matthew chapter 1, she is literally in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So don't tell me that you're not good enough to be able to do something for the kingdom of God. You are good enough because you are saved by faith and grace alone, but that faith and grace should produce works that then get you active building the church, building the kingdom of God. And then in verse 26, and Ruber, you can come out and make it spiritual now. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I don't know if you've ever been to like a national park or maybe a forest somewhere. If you go 30 minutes outside of the city, you can get into the Catskill region. But if you ever have those moments where sometimes you go into a forest and you see a bunch of trees and vegetation and they're just alive all around you. And that tree's alive and that tree's alive and that tree's alive. And look at springtime right now. So we know what trees are producing um, fruit or producing buds that will end up eventually producing fruit, right? We see it walking down 40th this, this morning, just absolutely gorgeous, the, the flowers that are starting to blossom out there, even though it's dreary and rainy outside. 
absolutely gorgeous. But sometimes you go and you see a tree that looks like a tree, feels like a tree, smells like a tree, is hard and strong like a tree, but they're not producing anything. You go into a forest and you see beautiful tree, beautiful tree, beautiful tree, dead tree, right in the middle of all of this vegetation that's alive. And you might not know it's dead at first, but you wait a season and you realize that whole season it didn't produce some kind of buds, some kind of fruit. And then you wait another season and another season and see what happened is that tree's roots were not getting the nutrients in the ground that it needed. Therefore, it ended up drying up and became rotted and dead and they start rotting from the inside out. I wonder how many people that call themselves Christians, they look like Christians, they act like Christians, they know what to say, they talk like Christians, they do all the Christian things, but inside they are dead and they're not producing any fruit. Scripture says, you will know my you will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Do we love as a church? Do we love as individuals? Do we love those that ask us for money for bus fare? Look, this is what I've been wrestling with all week. And as I was wrestling with this, and I was praying about it, and just really dealing with this confliction, I started reading about a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a great theologian. He actually studied here in the city. And in 1933, at the brink of World War II taking place, he decided to go start an illegal seminary in where is now Poland today. He started this illegal seminary and he started getting men and women at the ages of 13 and 14 who were giving their lives to Jesus Christ and he started preaching the Bible at them and giving them the tools to equip them and giving them everything like, hey, we're gonna raise you up and then he would send them out in just six months, nine months time to go pastor. And, and people had issues with this because he was doing it illegally, number one, in Nazi Germany. And then number two is he wasn't going through the accreditation and having your four years and your MDiv and your master's and all of this stuff. And, and then they've got to serve and they've got to do an internship and all these things. And he was giving these people these ordinations so that they could go out and to preach and to spread the gospel. So one day, Wilhelm Niesen ended up coming up to Bonhoeffer and said, hey, I, I don't understand, why is it? Why is it that you're going out and you're just raising up all of these young people to be pastors? And he said, let me show you something. And Bonhoeffer and Neeson, they got in this rowboat and very quietly, they rowed from one side of the river to the other side of the river. And Bonhoeffer said, hey, just come follow me. And they quietly started walking up to this hilltop. And on one side of the river, you had a seminary, an illegal seminary that was discipling and raising up the next generation. 
And then once they got to this rooftop, on the other side, they had a Nazi training camp that was raising up 12, 13, and 14-year-old boys to send them into war under the direction of Hitler. And Bonhoeffer turned to Nisa and he said, you know why I'm doing this? Because this, the church, has to be stronger than that. Discipleship has to be stronger than the culture of our world. Faith in action has to be stronger than a bunch of knowledge. The church needs to rise up and be stronger than the enemy that is coming against us. And I genuinely believe that this is what James, the brother of Jesus, is saying. You have faith? Great. Let's get to work. And church, this is my question for us today. Do we have faith? And if so, are we willing to get to work? Are we willing to let God transform us from the inside out? Are we willing to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to lead us to repentance so that we can look at God's creation and love them even more? Are we willing to go out and to help those that are broken? Are we willing to get a little crazy for Jesus and look a little weird so that someone might say yes to Jesus? Are we willing to step out of our comfort zone and let someone who doesn't act like us or look like us cry on our shoulders and we get to comfort them with the love of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to put our faith into action and allow there to be holy works that are produced to advance the kingdom of God? That's what Jesus is asking. That's what James is saying, but that's what Jesus is asking us today. There are people around us every day who need the love of Jesus. You have that message. I have that message. Let's be the church. Will you stand with me this morning? I believe we're about to see one of the greatest moves of God this world has ever seen. I believe we are about to see transformation power take place like we've never seen. Man, I just want to be God. Use me. Use me. Use me. Listen, if you are here and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the privacy of everyone, I'd like us to just bow our heads and close our eyes for this moment right here. But if you've never said yes to Jesus, or maybe you've said yes to him and you're realizing today that you need to recommit your life, you need to re-up that ante on him. Say, I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to put my trust in you. If that is you, will you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you right where you are. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Thank you. And if there's anybody else, I just want to invite you in a prayer, very simple, and we can all pray it here this morning. Jesus, I give you my life, every aspect of it. Be Lord of my life. I confess I'm a sinner, but I believe I am redeemed by the blood of you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, 
please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.